Today on the Matt Wall Show, as we all suffer through another Robert Mueller news cycle, I'd like to uh, turn our attention back to the story of Erica Thomas. She claimed that she was verbally assaulted by a racist white man at a grocery store. Now the police report is out, and it's very bad for her. And when a race hoax is exposed, I think we should talk about it rather than simply move on as the media wants us to do. Also, an actress comes out as pansexual, even though the term pansexual has no meaning. And finally, Forever 21 comes up with the most unintentionally hilarious marketing gimmick of all time. Let's talk about all that today on The Matt Walsh Show. All right, another day of Mueller mania. Another day to talk about Mueller and his report. I am so excited. I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, this issue is so interesting. I could just talk about it all day. It's the only thing I w- want to talk about. I-, I have so, so much fascinating analysis to offer. Look, honestly, a uh, part of me would rather jump in front of a 16-wheeler than talk about this damned issue for one more second. I, 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 in fact, I went outside looking for a 16-wheeler, but I couldn't find one. So uh, unfortunately for you. So we will talk about Mueller um, and the hearing and everything a little bit uh, today because news cycle is king. You got to follow the news cycles. So we'll talk about that. Uh, then we're going to move on to, to more interesting things, in my opinion. But first, you know, here's an important uh, thing. Your, your confidence is crucial. And sometimes one change can make all the difference. Hair Club knows that. And that's why they're inviting you to become part of the Hair Club family to see how Getting the most out of your hair can really change your life, honestly. It can make everything different. Um, they understand the emotions you're feeling when you start to lose your hair and your, your whole look is changing. They know the questions you have. Um, that's because Hair Club is the leader in total hair solutions with a legacy of success for over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair um, or learn more about the latest methods of hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's experts, you know, pr- professionally trained anal- uh, stylists, hair health experts, uh, consultants, they will craft a personalized solution. It's no cookie cutter thing. It's going to be personalized for you. Um, you know, here's, here's what you can do. Here's what I would recommend. Go to hairclub.com slash Walsh today. And if you do that, you're going to get a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair kit, all valued at over 300 bucks, but you're getting it for free. Okay. So again, I emphasize that is a $300 value that you're getting for free if you go to hairclub.com slash Walsh. Hairclub.com slash Walsh. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Only with Hair Club. I'm certain you'll love the club. All right, Mueller. Uh, Robert Mueller was dragged, and I do think literally dragged from the looks of it, up to Capitol Hill for uh, hearings today. It really seemed like he didn't want to be there, um, and I can see why. Democrats, of course, were expecting... Uh, fireworks. I mean, they're always expecting fireworks, especially where, where Mueller is concerned. And he has let them down so many times in the firework department, but yet they keep expecting it. They they just keep coming back. Uh, all of his fireworks end up just being the little sparklers that burn for a second and then, and then end up burning your hand and you throw them out. Uh, and that's what it was again today, shockingly. In fact, as the hearing was beginning and Mueller gave his opening statement, he made it very clear that he isn't going to say anything that wasn't already in the report. Everything that he says, it's going to be back. It's going to be in the report. If, if you ask him a question that has to do with something outside of the report, he's not going to answer it. Everything's going to go back to the report, which raises the question, what's the point of the hearing? It's already in it. He wrote 400 pages 
Well, somebody wrote 400 pages. We don't know if it's him. We'll go back to that in a second. Um, but it's this 400 pages. That's that's all he's got to say, and it's right there. You can read it for yourself. Um, yet we had the hearing, and why is that? Well, because of course the real point is for grandstanding. But but here's the great great thing, and this is what I appreciate. This this is the one thing I enjoyed as I was suffering through watching these hearings. The one thing I enjoyed is that these politicians were there hoping to grandstand, but their grandstanding was undermined at every turn by the fact that Mueller apparently didn't bring his hearing aid or he forgot to turn it on. So we didn't hear anything that they said. So they 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 were they were trying to just go over everything that was already in there. In fact, um, uh, uh, Nadler, Jerry Nadler was the first person to ask questions. And his whole line of questioning was just going over what was already in the report. But Mueller couldn't hear what he was saying. So it was it was like uh, Jerry Nadler was like, uh, Mr. Mueller, uh, the, the report states X, does it not? I'm sorry, what was that? Um, well, it's in my reading of the report, it states X. Um, can you repeat that one last time? X is in the report. Does it not say X? And so there was just like that, back and forth, back and forth, uh, which was pretty funny. But at the same time, it was kind of concerning because Robert Mueller really came across like, frankly, a befuddled and confused old man, which I'm not going to make fun of him for that. He's 74, 75 years old, something like that. And he looked every bit his age and was acting it too. Um, and that is no surprise. I mean, you're 74, 75, you've been given this high pressure job. It seemed like it wore, really wore him down. I imagine that's part of the reason why he didn't want to do this hearing because he knew he wouldn't perform well. Um, and he didn't perform well. But it, it, it is, as I said, concerning because it makes you think, well, um, who? this was the guy that was doing this whole investigation for two years? Um, is, this, is this person even capable of doing an investigation like this? Was he the one actually running the investigation? Is this his report and you know, not somebody else? What we end up with it then in the end um, is a report that was already written and published a long time ago. Um, we have a hearing about a report with the guy who ostensibly wrote it, but has already said he won't provide extra details about it. And we have a guy who wrote the report ostensibly who can't hear and doesn't understand what's going on, apparently, and uh, doesn't even know what's in his own report. And that all adds up to, uh, it did add up to, Maybe a few humorous moments, but other than that, as far as I can tell, nothing of consequence. You know, the, the talking heads and the pundits are going to parse it and come up with things that are significant and it's on both sides of it. But really, when it comes down to it, this Mueller thing, um, it, it's, all, it's all baked in as far as the voters are concerned. If you hate Trump, then you believe that he's a Russian spy and a traitor and nothing Mueller says is, is going to change your mind. It doesn't matter. And if you support Trump, again, it doesn't matter what Mueller says, you support him. And I think if you're in the middle, um, you probably are bored with this by now and are sick of it. And you're going to make your decision about who you vote for based on something other than Robert Mueller. That's, that's my feeling anyway. So none of this matters. That's my analysis. And I will move on. Let's move to something that I think does matter um, this week. And I want to I go check in with this story again because... The media wants to move on. The media has moved on. Uh, the left has moved on. But I don't think we should move on just yet. Erica Thomas, you may remember her. 
Uh, if you can think back all the way back to the distant past of this past weekend, you'll remember that Erica Thomas is the Georgia Democrat who claimed that she was verbally assaulted by a racist white man at the grocery store. Uh, she claimed that she was in the express lane with too many items, which in my view already puts her in the wrong. No matter what happens next, she's in the wrong because she's in the she's abusing the express lane, which is one of the worst things a human being can do. Um, but she claims she was in the express lane, racist white guy comes in, raving lunatic apparently, starts screaming at her, go back where you came from, even though that doesn't make sense in the context of this dispute. Um, she records the tearful uh, Facebook video and is uh, so upset about it, traumatized. Well, the story begins to fall apart immediately. We talked about it on Monday um, because, first of all, it was just patently unbelievable from the very start. Second, when the supposed racist who it turns out is a Cuban Democrat, shows up on camera to confront her and dispute her version of events, she, she, she starts backtracking and hedging immediately and says, ah, well, maybe he didn't say go back where you came from, but he said something that's in that general vicinity of statements. Um, now, though, it's gotten worse because witnesses are coming forward and there's security camera footage, which police have looked at. Because, oh yeah, the police got involved. The police actually did an investigation for some reason. I mean, even if Erica Thomas was not a godforsaken liar, which she is, but even if she was telling the truth, and this really did happen, exactly as she says, why would the police be involved? What's the crime? You know, to say, go back where you came from, it may be a jerky thing to say, but it's not illegal. It's not an illegal statement. Yet the police did get involved, and... Um, uh, they announced yesterday that no charges are going to be filed, unsurprisingly. But they also have now a police report, which includes um, their interviews of witnesses. And those interviews do not at all back up what Erica Thomas said. Which shows again just how stupid these race hoaxers tend to be. I mean, Jussie Smollett. So many things about that story. It, it was bound, he was bound to be exposed as a, as a hoaxer. He went about it in the dumbest possible way. And what I said about that is, look, if you're Jesse Smollett and you want to do a race hoax, um, and you want to pretend that you were beat up by uh, white guys shouting, this is MAGA country, then your best bet, now I would recommend not making up the story to begin with, but if you're going to make up the story, then just make up the story. Don't get into, don't be too specific. Don't hire two of your friends to pretend to be white guys. Don't involve other people, potential witnesses. Just say, hey, this happened. And if you're not specific about it and you don't involve the police, then nobody's ever going to be able to prove it didn't happen. It's the same thing here. <laughs> you, you, you're basing your lie on an incident that actually did happen, which means there are witnesses. And then you get the police involved and it's just, it's, it's, you're bound to be exposed as a liar. So Erica Thomas, what she could have done is just, she could have done her tearful video, um, that it was, and, and completely invented the story. You know, don't specify what grocery store, um, it, it occurred in. Don't involve the police. Uh, and nobody will ever be able to prove it didn't happen because there are no witnesses to interview. There's no security camera footage to look at. And um, at least you could always pretend that it really did happen and no one can prove otherwise. But um, she is on top of a liar, uh, apparently a very stupid person. So 
the the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution has a report based on the police report. And listen, I'll read the first two paragraphs from that uh, article. This is interesting. It says, a witness to a heated grocery store encounter between State Representative Erica Thomas and a man she accused of uttering racist comments told authorities she didn't hear him make any make those remarks, according to a Cobb County police report. A Publix employee told a Cobb County officer that she witnessed part of the conversation and heard Thomas continuously tell Eric Sparks to go back where you came from but did not hear Sparks utter those words to Thomas. So not only did she make that, she was, according to this witness, she was the one who said, go back where you came from. Uh, that is that is incredible. Now that's a twist I didn't expect. I knew she made up that, you know, that the fact that he said it was made up. I, I could tell that immediately, but I didn't expect that she was actually the one who said it. Um, the police report says that um, they, the, you know, the police looked at the security camera footage uh, it, there's no audio to it, but in the footage, um, it's Thomas who's the aggressor. She's going up to Sparks, wagging her finger in his face. He's backing away. And then another witness said that he started leaving and she kept coming at him and was yelling at him. Um, so there you go. Uh, no witnesses back up Thomas's account. One witness says that Thomas is the one who said the racist stuff. So then it appears that Thomas was the aggressor. Thomas then uh, allegedly would be the racist. Thomas is a lying fraud. Shocker of shockers. But what's happened to the story then? Over the weekend, when she first recorded her tearful video, with some very bad acting, I might add, uh, it was all over the place. Media was on top of it. Uh, Democrats were talking about it. It's Trump's fault. Trump's America. It's an epidemic. It's terrible. Uh, Hashtag, I stand with Erica Thomas, trending on Twitter. And then it starts to fall apart and the, and the, and the story just, just disappears. Even though, because you, you could try to say, well, uh, okay, well, it didn't happen. So it's not a story then. It didn't happen. So what are we talking about? Well, no, actually, it, it's a bigger story now that it didn't happen. If it did happen, as Erica Thomas said, then it's not a story. The fact that it didn't happen is a story. That is the story. Because think about it, if it actually happened, as Erica Thomas said, well, then what? what's the story? The story is some nobody, some stranger, some jerk uh, yelled at somebody in line at a grocery store. That, that happens every day. It's not a story. It doesn't matter. Um, but an elected official making up a story, slandering a constituent, trying to stoke racial tensions for her own gain, that's a story. Okay, that's important. That's relevant. That's something that is of public interest. Yet the media only cares about the irrelevant version of the story, the false version. Now that the truth has come out, they flee. And that's what happens, you know, with reporters is that the minute the truth is there, they, they're there. Ah, the truth is here. Let's get out of here. And they run away. And you know what the really sad thing is? Here's the really sad thing is that Thomas is going to suffer no consequences for this. There will be no consequences for her. Um, because I think a lot of people on the left, they're going to continue believing her version, even though it's been pretty much conclusively debunked now. They're going to believe her version. Just like there are, uh, there are liberals who still go around talking about hands up, don't shoot, even though that narrative has been absolutely conclusively debunked. They still stick with it all these years later. So I think that there are going to be some 
uh, people on the left, some Democrat voters who just decide to believe it, even though it's obviously not true. And then there are going to be even more who, who maybe know that it's not true and acknowledge it, but don't care. Because on the left, what we have to understand is that the truth doesn't matter to these people. They, they don't care about that. They really don't. What they care about is the narrative. They care about, you know, uh, winning politically and winning ideologically. That's what they care about. And they believe that the truth is sort of an irrelevant detail and that um, ends justify the means. And so if, if, if you need to um, bend the truth or, or lie uh, for your, you know, for, for the greater cause, then that's okay to do. They're, they're perfectly fine with that. Because what they believe is America is a racist country where these kinds of things happen all the time. So even if this specific thing didn't happen, these kinds of things happen. So it's still legitimate. And she's calling attention to the sort of thing that happens, even if it's not this particular thing. That's the way they're going to rationalize it, which means that, um, if anything, this probably helped her. I think that it got her name out there. It, uh, it uh, increased her profile and it increased her street cred among, uh, among Democrat voters, uh, whether they believe it or not. And so I say that Erica Thomas is very stupid. Maybe she's not. You know, maybe she knew that. Yeah, this is a, this is an unbelievable story, and it and, and the truth is going to come out, and it will be debunked. But uh, it's still going to help me with uh, with the suckers who make up my voting base. It's going to help me. All right. So here's this is fun. Bella Thorne is, uh, I guess, an actress or something. Bella Thorne is a, she's, a, I think. An actress, singer, something, or I don't know. Anyway, she's she. I guess she's famous, and she was interviewed by ABC News for reasons that, after watching the interview, still escape me. But during the course of the interview, she made a huge announcement uh, that I think is is you want to talk about newsworthy. This is newsworthy stuff. Watch this. In the past, she's used Twitter to casually come out as bisexual, but today she's expanded her sexual orientation. I'm actually a pansexual. And oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Okay. And somebody somebody explained to me so, really thoroughly what that is. And explain that to me. You like beings. You like what you like. Doesn't have to be a girl or a guy or you know he is she a they or this or that. It's literally you like personality, like you just like a being. First of all, I have to say that I love that every other show of this type is going to be playing clips from the, from the Mueller hearing today uh, for their show, but I'm playing clips of Bella Thorne talking about her pansexuality. You know, that's, that's the difference between me and the rest of them. Um, second, I love that, that she said this, and the woman interviewing her had to pretend to take it seriously. It was it was so awkward where she said, "Actually, I'm pansexual." Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that that's nice. It reminds me of the time when uh when I first told my parents I was going to become a, a professional blogger. It was the same. Oh, a blogger, like for a job? Is that, is that uh, okay? Well, well, that 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 that'll be interesting. Um, so Bella Thorne is pansexual. Uh, she says. Which she says, that means she's attracted to beings. Beings. She's attracted to beings. Now, if pansexual means anything other than bisexual, which she says that it does. She says, I, well, I thought I was bisexual, but I'm actually pans. I'm, I'm attracted to beings in general. But if that's the case, then, um, then it would have to mean 
you know, you're attracted to beings. Well, beings include literally any living entity at all. A moose, a cricket, a lobster, three-toed sloth, a fox, an aardvark. I mean, Noah's Ark, basically. Noah's entire Ark. You'd be attracted to everything. Bella Thorne would go crazy in Noah's Ark. She'd be attracted to everything, man, woman, child, animal, any, because that's, if you're telling me you're pansexual, your sexuality knows no boundaries whatsoever, any being is potentially an object of your sexual attraction. That's what you're saying. I mean, that's, that is the, that's the, the implication. But if Bella is not in fact attracted to insects and reptiles and mammalian forest creatures, um, and her attraction is, in fact, limited to adult males and females, well, then we're back to bisexual. So it is a, it is a, it's a, pansexual then is a category that doesn't need to exist and doesn't exist. And I'm just going to, spoiler alert here, um, no, Bella Thorne, and I know this is going to sound very presumptuous of me, Bella Thorne, you say you're pansexual, you're not, actually. You actually are not. I, I know, I, I know it's, I am now mansplaining your own sexuality to you. I am doing that. You are not pansexual because I, I, I'm pretty sure you are not potentially attracted to any being in existence. Like, I'm pretty sure there are limits. Okay, if you go to the zoo, okay, that, I, I'm pretty sure that for you is not a sexual expedition. I mean, you are, you're looking at the polar bear cage, you, you, I, right? You're going to rule out polar bears as objects then you're not pansexual. You're, that's bisexual. That's already a thing. We don't need a term. Over, this term over here doesn't mean anything. You're not that. Nobody is that. That doesn't exist, which is good. You know, it, it, that's good. I mean, because that would be, a, it would be impossible to function as a human if you could potentially be sexually attracted to any being. <laughs> the only way to make it broader, and I mean, if you really want to be uh, uh, progressive, then Rather than being attracted to beings, because here's the thing, when you're attracted to beings, you are still discriminating because then you're saying that, well, you are limiting it at least to living creatures. Now, if you really want to be progressive, you'll say that I'm attracted to any entity of any kind. Uh, could be a could be a dog, could be a, a woman, could be a man, could be a door, you know, could be a lamp. Any uh, this desk right here? Who knows? That's that's progressive. Re- you want to be really uber pansexual? You should be attracted to anything, anything, literally anything. The color blue. I mean, anything. Um, I guess the color blue isn't a, an entity, though. All right, I, I have to talk about this for a minute, also, before we get to emails, um, because this is hilarious. This got a literal LOL out of me last night when I read it. Uh, this story last night. Um, well, as the story went last night, before the full story came out, as it tends to do, the story was that Forever 21, the women's clothing store, was sending Atkins diet bars with all of its plus-sized clothing orders. <laughs> if, you ordered, if you ordered a plus-size, if you ordered plus-size clothes online, as the story went, um, Forever 21 would send you a diet bar with the package, which is great. I mean, that is that is just hysterical. That's even funnier than Bella Thorne being attracted to grasshoppers. I mean, you know, you, you, we are doomed as a society if we cannot all agree 
that that is hilarious. I, you know, I don't care if you're, if you're overweight yourself, you have to admit, you know, if you order, like, if I ordered um, size 52 jeans from, from uh, somewhere and they said, and there was a diet bar in, the, I would crack up laughing. It would be great. But of course, in our humorless society, this is a source of outrage, uh, hurt feelings, trauma. Oh my gosh. It's fat shaming. It's the Macy's plates all over again. I'm having nightmares. I'm having, I'm having flashbacks. Which, even if it is fat shaming, first of all, it's free food. Which, why are you Why would anyone complain about that? Especially someone who's plus size. No, I'm kidding. That was. I'm sorry. That was. A, that was a joke. I didn't mean it. Don't. It was not a fat joke. It wasn't. I'm, my point is simply that if you're, you know, I, why would you complain about free food, right? I mean, we all like food. Especially you. No, I'm kidding. That's not what I meant. I don't mean that. It's not. A, it's. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of this. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I couldn't make light of, of that. It, it, anyway, no, that's not. Second, here's the point. Just scratch all that. It's just. It's funny. It's the only point I'm making. Okay, I'm not making. As it turns out, though, of course, um, this is all. This this is all taken out of context. It turns out that Forever 21 was sending Atkin bar, Atkins bars with every order uh, of any size, any product. And so this is just now as a marketing strategy, that is pretty stupid uh, because you, you you have to figure you're putting diet bars in with like people are going to order plus size clothing and you're putting diet bars in there. And, and you must know how our society is. Like, how did you not know? And th- this is what doesn't offend me in the least. Like I said, I think it's hilarious, but probably forever 21, they weren't going for hilarious. And it always shocks me when you discover that people who work in marketing departments for these big companies, nationwide successful companies, um, it shocks me when they have no understanding of how our culture works. How did you get that job in a, in a marketing department? Your whole job is to know how our culture works and, and how to appeal to people. And how did you not any, how is it that they, they had to sit down and have this conversation and say, uh, hey, you know, we should send uh, something free with all the orders. And you know, what should we send? And someone had to suggest, hey, we could send uh, diet bars. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. How did no one else in the room say, hey, hold on a second. Uh, you know, overweight people are going to be ordering clothes. They're going to get the diet bar. They're going to take it the wrong way. It's going to end up on Twitter. I'm telling you guys. How did nobody say that? All right. Um, anyway, funny stuff. Good stuff there. Let's uh, let's go to emails. A couple of interesting emails. Um, this is from Kristen, uh, mattwalshow at gmail.com. Mattwalshow at gmail.com is the email address. This is from Kristen. It says, hi, Matt. I recently have been going through a mini crisis of faith. I won't call it a full-blown crisis as I'm not questioning, say, the infallibility of the Bible or the basic tenets of the Christian faith. But I've started to question certain doctrines I grew up with that uh, I always accepted as biblical, but now I'm not so sure. For instance, when I was a child, I've been taught that once saved, always saved, or that you can't lose your salvation. But now I'm coming across passages that seem to contradict that idea, such as Hebrews 6, uh, 4 through 6, and 1 Timothy 4, uh, uh, chapter 4, 4, verse 1. More recently, my husband and I attended a so-called Reformed church that basically held a Calvinist doctrine. The ideas of limited atonement and unconditional election sounded, inco- sounded consistent on their faith, face, but when taken to their logical conclusions, I found them abhorrent. I would ask seemingly reasonable questions like, why would a loving God predestine 
some people for eternal salvation and others for eternal damnation before the dawn of time, only only to be directed to Romans 9 and to be told that I couldn't ask those questions. And I'll stop you right there. Anyone who tells you that you shouldn't or you can't ask uh, theological questions, uh, that's someone that you should just dis- disregard. I just utterly disregard them. People who say that are, are I really detest that, actually. I mean, you absolutely should be asking questions. We're not a cult, for goodness sakes, right? We're not a cult. That's what cults do. Cults would say, no, don't ask questions, just accept it. Th- that We're not that. And if you go to a church where that's the attitude, then that is a cult church. And you should find another one. That's my opinion. Um, she continues, in my soul, I felt Calvinism was inconsistent with what I knew to be true about the loving nature of God and the Bible, only to be shamed for feeling that way in the first place. In the past few weeks, I've found some non-Calvinist interpretations of scripture, which have only brought up more questions. So I will continue to seek answers potentially for the rest of my life. But, um, my question to you is you obviously reject Calvinism and I would assume the entire tulip system. How did you come to that conclusion? not only philosophically, but according to scripture, how do you, or rather, how does the Catholic Church contend with seemingly Calvinistic passages such as Roman 9? Um, all right, well, you know, uh, Kirsten, I think I called you Kristen before, sorry. For me, it's not about one passage or another. Um, you can always quote mine. You can always cherry pick. Um, you can always proof text, meaning you can go into scripture with a conclusion already in mind, and find passages that will support that conclusion. You, you can always do that. Um, and you can do that with anything. I mean, you can prove, quote unquote, prove any conclusion you want about anything if that's how you're approaching the Bible. Because the Bible's a very big book with a lot, with a lot of books inside it and a lot of words, a lot of sentences, a lot of verses, a lot of chapters. Um, and if you don't care about context and you're just looking to support the doctrine you already had in mind before you approach scripture, then you'll be able to do it. Uh, if you want to prove that uh, Jesus was a created being and not God, um, you can do that by proof texting. And in fact, heretical sects have done that since the very early days of Christianity. And 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 I think, in fact, um, they have more out of context verses than that they can quote to support their uh, conclusions than do a lot of um, a lot of other Christians with with their own erroneous conclusions. So, I mean, like for instance, you know, I mean, there's so many, but you, Jesus says uh, 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 talks frequently about at various points about how God is greater than he says. He says uh, when he is called good, he says, "Why do you call me good? There's only uh, you know, there's only God, the Father is good." Um, paraphrasing a little bit. That verse, among several others, was one that uh, that the um, Arians and others pointed to, to to say that well, clearly God is 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 not equal to the Father. I mean, clearly Jesus is not equal to the Father. Um, which, if you're just looking at that passage alone by itself with nothing else, then sure, maybe it does indicate that. But once you take a a total view of Scripture, you start to see how erroneous that conclusion would be. Uh, here's what I'll say then. Taking a total view of Scripture, if everything is predetermined, if we are consigned to hell or granted heaven regardless of our choices, if some of, if some of us are literally created to be damned and we have no choice 
we have no will, we have no say in it, then that would render the entire Bible moot. The entire Bible is pointless. I don't even need to point to one verse. The entire thing has, serves no purpose in that case. If God is just pulling the strings and it, it, it's and we have no say, it doesn't matter what we do, what we believe, it just, it just, it's, it's all determined from birth. There are those of us who are created from the very moment of conception and we are on the path to hell. There's nothing we can do to change it. Well, then what's what the Bible serves no function. There's no reason for it to exist. What does the Bible contain after all? Well, it contains the story of God's relationship to man, the story of salvation. Yes, but it's not just that. Uh, it's not just a, a storybook. Um, it's not just a kind of, hey, check out what happened. Isn't this interesting kind of thing? There are also hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages worth of instruction, Old and New Testament. Do this. Don't do this. Live this way. Don't live that way. Uh, I don't need to quote one particular verse. If I, if, if, if you, you know, if if I need to get into specifics, let's start with the Sermon on the Mount or the old or the Ten Commandments. Start with just those two for a minute. All of that stuff. Uh, it only has meaning. It only has a point. There is only a reason to read it if we can actually choose to follow it. And if our choosing to follow it will potentially have some positive impact on our own lives and on the world. If we can't choose to follow it, or if choosing to follow it won't end, um, won't matter in the end, and won't amount to anything, because it's all predestined anyway, then there's no point. I mean, why read it? Why encourage anyone else to read it? Why would you go to someone and say, yeah, you should really read the Bible when th their ultimate destination has already been determined, whether they read it or not? doesn't matter. Um, so that, that's what I would say. I would say that uh, it, it's not just that, uh, that these doctrines of predetermination, predestination, it's not just that they undermine one verse or another. It's that they undermine the entire thing. And that's the problem. All right, this is from Mark. Dear Matt. I am a self. How do I know that other people are selves? How do I know that I'm not the only person on earth and everyone else is a robot or a hologram? Thank you. This is actually a really interesting question. I love this question. I wish I had left more time for it. Um, uh, and you could kind of tell if you're someone who's interested in philosophy, depending on your reaction to a question like that. If you hear that question, you just roll your eyes and are bored already just by the question itself, then you're probably then philosophy isn't for you. Uh, me, I, I find that question to be fascinating because it touches on an elemental truth of human experience, of human existence, and, and that is this, that we can only experience our own lives. We only know what it's like to be ourselves. We cannot be anyone else. Yet every other person is a person. Every other person is a self, their own self. And this fact is actually fascinating when you think about it. Now, to answer your question briefly from a rigorous and technical philosophical perspective, I guess we'd have to say that um, you don't technically know that anyone else exists. Uh, you know, I mean, it's from a philosophically, you, I guess, would have to leave open the possibility that everyone else is a robot or a mirage or something. But for all intents and purposes, measuring plausibilities here, uh, you can operate with very strong confidence that other people exist. Um, the chance that other people exist is far greater than the chance that you're the only person and we are all figments. Um, but 
So that, that's, I think, how you answer that question. Um, but I think there's more to be said. Because the fact that we are all people, that we are all selves, is still mysterious, right? Um, it's still a truth that you can only acknowledge, but, but, but you don't really tap into or, or experience for yourself. I mean, the fact, I mean, I'm talking to you right now, and I am a person. I have my own internal life, my own perspective. And I don't even know who you are. Like, you aren't even a part of it, aside from the fact that you wrote this email. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever been, um, I assume that this happens to other people, uh, but have you ever been driving down the road and you've got cars passing you by on the other side of the road and suddenly this thought occurs to you? It occurs to you that, that each of those cars contains people and those people, each of them, are, are just as unique and complex and interesting as you. That they have an internal life that's as real and as vivid and as deep and as uh, complicated as your own. Um, each person in each of those cars, they have their own story, their own saga, um, their own history, their own secrets, their own memories, their own desires, their own goals, their own flaws and virtues. They're all stars of their own story, and you are irrelevant to their story. You know, they are all the most interesting people in their own plot lines, and you play no role at all. They don't even know you exist. You are nothing to them. I mean, you could die tomorrow, and they would never know or care or realize. To them, you're just a, a car passing on the highway, just like they are to you. Isn't it, isn't it crazy to think that? That, that, to, that you, to someone else, to, to, to so many other people on earth, that is all you've ever been to them. You're just a, the guy in the car, and you're gone, and that's it. Um, now, I think this thought, when it occurs to you, this realization about the complexity of other human beings especially about the existence of their own internal life, their own internal monologue, their own consciousness, uh, this realization, I think, can be disturbing. Disturbing because when you think about it, you kind of feel your own existence start to sort of dissolve into irrelevance when you realize that almost everyone on earth, almost everyone who's ever existed on earth has never heard of you, will never meet you, never care about you. Um, almost everything you've ever thought or felt or experienced will die with you decay into the ground. Nobody will ever know about it. Um, if you have something that you're really worried about, some anxiety that's eating you up, it's taking up all your mental energy. Well, when you die, that anxiety just evaporates. That thing that was so important to you, so central to the universe as you experience it, is nothing to everybody else. Absolutely nothing. I think that's the disturbing part of it. But if you, if, if, if you think about it a different way, it's also comforting because you realize that you're actually not alone in the world. Uh, you aren't, in fact, the only vividly drawn portrait in a world full of stick, stick figures. You aren't the only person in a world full of robots or, or holograms. Um, you're not alone. You've got 7 billion other people sharing the burden of existence with you. And, uh, and those anxieties that you care so much about, well, maybe the fact that, that to everybody else, they're nothing or, or you know, uh, maybe that's a good thing. To know that everything you're worried about really isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme. A billion other people have worried about those same things probably. It's old hat. It's routine. Whatever it is. Um, maybe that's comforting. And I think the main thing is just to know that, that you're not alone. I honestly think that every problem in our society could be solved. Every single problem, at least all of our interpersonal problems, conflicts and strife and all of that, 
All of it could be solved. If you could just, that moment, assuming you have those moments too, on the highway, if you could just capture that moment and, and live in that moment and live with that mindset, if we could all do that all the time, all, all of our problems go away. We really would live in a utopia in that case. Because I think all of our conflict in the end stems from our inability or our unwillingness to recognize the selfhood of others. I mean, it's easy to recognize that other people are people, although a lot of people in our society struggle even with that, especially as it pertains to the unborn. But um, even if you recognize intellectually that people are people, that's not the same as, as recognizing that they are selves, that, that, they, that they are a self like you. I think if you could keep that at the forefront of your mind, if we all could all the time, we would live in peace and harmony. But um, we can't. And um, we can't live that way. Nobody ever, nobody, no one lives that way all the time. Certainly there's never going to be a time when everybody lives that way all the time. So I think the best we could hope to do is just, um, is just be intentional in our thinking and as much as possible bring our minds back to that reality that every other person is a self just like the us. They have their own existence, their own perspective, um, their own uh, internal monologue, their own life, right? Doesn't make, doesn't mean that, you know, everyone is, it's, it doesn't mean that they're right about everything. It's, it's, that's not the point. It's just that they, they, ha- they, they are far more complex than you probably think. Um, especially, I think, if we could just bring this thought to our minds in, in, in situations where, I mean, going back to the car, like you're in the car, you're sitting in traffic, um, you're, you know, you're, you're angry, there's a thousand other cars on the road, they're all in your way, you're angry. I mean, think about being angry in traffic, and we all have, but I know I am all the time. Think about how absurdly selfish and stupid that is. The reason why there's traffic is that there's a bunch of other people on the road trying to go the same direction as you. And they have just as much a right to go that way as you do. And if you could just stop for a minute and and look at your own thought, which is, okay, I am being angry about traffic. And then if you could just try to put that thought to the side and then realize that all these other cars have people in them. And, 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 And to those people, you are just a car in their way. If you could just... And not only that, but as far as traffic goes, there's a good chance that the traffic jam is happening because somebody got into an accident. And so for you, the worst that happens is you're 25 minute late, minutes late to dinner. Meanwhile, somebody might have just died or, or their whole life might have been turned upside down by a serious injury. I mean, and here you are in your self-obsessed little, little tiny world. And all you care about is that you're going to be late to this thing that doesn't even matter. So um, if we could just, yeah. That's my that's my uh, that's my little self help sermon for the day. Uh, but I do think that I don't know. There's something there. I mean, the the moment you can start thinking, even if it's just for a moment. But I, I what I found is that if I can force myself to, to think this way in moments, um, it, I it immediately makes me less less angry, less stressed out, and I in that moment at least I'm I'm just a happier person. So if we could recall that more and more, I think that would be. To our benefit. All right. Um, we will leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you for listening. Godspeed.
Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Robert Mueller is testifying before the House Judiciary Committee today, and earlier this morning, a Volkswagen pulled into the Capitol Rotunda, and onlookers watched with delight and wonder as all 235 congressional Democrats poured out of the car until committee chairman Jerry Nadler finally emerged, wearing a baggy polka dot outfit, gigantic shoes, white makeup, and a fright wig, and announced to reporters that he did not want the hearing to turn into some kind of circus. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin.